morning, Grace Life. Well, I want to welcome all of you online, and I wanted to remind the, those of you watching online that today is our communion Sunday. It's the first Sunday of the month. That's when we, as Grace Life, get together and partake of the Lord's table. So if you would like to partake with us uh, towards the end of the service, um, you have plenty of time to get your, your juice and I think it's a little too early for wine, so, you know, some bread or whatever you're going to do to uh, take, partake with us. And um, this scripture is a perfect scripture to show how the community of God came together. So we're taking an offering for a new building today. That's what this is all about. I'm just joking. I really am. No. As he was reading that, I'm like, I bet everyone's going to think we're, this is going to be about taking an offering. And <laughs> it's really not. It has nothing to do with that. But hello, my name's Cliff Patterson. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Life. I'm so blessed to come here and share today. This is a, a message that has been on my heart for a number of weeks, and I was so glad you know, that Tommy had asked if I would come preach, and I said, amen, let's do it. And um, he is away for the weekend hunting hogs with his son. So pray for a bountiful harvest for him. <laughs> pray for favor in the woods, whatever he's into. So... Praise the Lord. I want to focus really on one part of that scripture at the end, uh, chapter 25, verse 1 through 9. Um, it is that I may dwell in their, list, uh, their midst. God had said, hey, bring all this stuff together. I want to make a tabernacle. Why? So you can come dwell with me. No. So I can come dwell with you. He wanted to dwell with the people. And this is a problem that humanity has had ever since the garden. When sin was introduced by our forefathers, by Adam and Eve, into the world, God had to separate himself from us. What happened? He kicked us out of the garden, right? He could not dwell in their midst. But he had chosen a people, a holy nation, started with Abraham, kept working on the nation, went into slavery for 400 years, came out of slavery, and now this is where Exodus picks up, is that they're in, ready to, to come into the promised land. He's like, I want to dwell in your midst. And right here, it's a tabernacle. Perhaps you've heard of the tabernacle, a sanctuary, a temple. You know, a tabernacle, they're all three pretty much the same, except a tabernacle is portable because it's a big tent. Because if you've read the book of Exodus, you'll see that the Israelites were always moving around. They weren't staying in one place. And God wanted to dwell with his people while they were moving around. But why the tabernacle or the temple or the sanctuary? God, why are you not like all the other religions? Why are you not this force that emanates from the rocks and this, this beautiful essence that lives in all of us? And why, are you, why don't you meet us in those ways? And the reason is it's because of us. We're the problem. It would appear that when you read it in this perspective that God needed a buffer between himself and between us, and the problem is you and the problem is me. It's because of our sin. And that's been the theme from the beginning, that sin has always separated us from God. Psalm 5, verse 4 says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Unfortunately, because of the evil within us, because of the sin on our hands, the blood on our hands, we cannot dwell with God. We cannot approach him. 
we do have the testimony of the scriptures in Genesis where it said that there was a, there was a time when God, uh, the men and women of the world started to call upon God. There's a difference between calling upon God and praying and actually having him dwell in your midst. We cannot be with God on a regular basis because of our stained hands. We are stained with sin. We are born into sin through our mother. Those of you who attend here regularly, you know that we're going through the book of Romans. Chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Some of those old country Baptist preachers, you might have heard say, baby's first cry is a lie, and those of you who have kids probably know that that's true. We've desired evil, we've done evil, we've spoken evil, we've loved evil, and these things have separated us from God and brought spiritual death into our spirits and our souls. But what is God to do? As we've stated, because of his holiness, he cannot dwell with sin. He had to create a place where sin could be dwelt with so that his people could come to him. Throughout the years, my thoughts on God were twisted. I always thought, and I'm sure many of you have struggled with the same things, that we have to do all these things to come to God. But the problem is, is the more things that we do to try to justify ourselves, the dirtier that we get. It's an unfortunate reality. So he has to be the one to cleanse us. And I never saw until recent years that God was pursuing us, that God is always pursuing us. God said, do all these things. I would always see this litany of laws and prescriptions and things that we had to do to come to God. And then when you get to the end of the verse, it's like, so I may dwell in your midst. He is pursuing us. He wants to be with us. He's been pursuing us and thinking of us for thousands of years and telling us, hey, I'm going to provide a way. We're going to take care of this. You're going to be able to come, and we're going to be able to dwell together, and I want to dwell in your midst. So, all of us are, looks like we're Floridians since we're here today. Who remembers Hurricane Ian that came through here a couple months ago? Yes. Um, some of us were affected by it differently than others, and we have uh, m many servants here who actually join um, teams and go down and, and, and served in Fort Myers and places that were greatly affected by Hurricane Ian. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. When we were preparing for our hurricane, I, my wife and I, we have five acres out in Lake Helen, and we've been through a hurricane before. I'm a native Floridian. You ever seen one before? <laughs> Um, been through plenty of hurricanes. We expected a wet road because we have dirt roads. That's why we got the big old four-wheel drive truck because when it gets too soggy, we can't use the minivan anymore. We got to use the truck to go in and out. Figured there'd be a couple down trees, maybe power for a couple weeks, have my generator ready. I was not prepared for what I saw when we woke up the next morning. I, I was sleeping. sleeping. I, I kept getting the, the things on my phone uh, flood warning, flood warning, flood warning. And I eventually turned the phone off. I was like, it's not going to flood out here. It's fine. I woke up this mo that morning, and I was flooded. <laughs> I was completely flooded. We have five acres, and all of it was underwater, at least at least three foot of water. And, um, and those of you who live in Deltona area, the only thing that was above water was a septic mound, you know, because everyone's got a septic mound around here because our, 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 level, our, our water level is so high and our... our the dirt level is so low. And 
I do have a manufactured home, so thank God, you know, our house didn't flood out, but me and my wife were peering out the window, and there's just water flowing underneath our house, and I'm like, oh my goodness, okay, I, w- I was not ready for this, and, you know, Breeze kind of walking around very calmly telling the kids, okay, um, get yourself a bag, and get a few clothes, get your toothbrush, comb, and this, that, and the other, and let's just be ready just in case we need to leave, and she's shaking in her boots, because, you know, we kind of thought that the water was rising, but praise the Lord, you know, I, I kept taking a measuring tape. I felt like Noah. I was taking a measuring tape and, and hanging it out the window and measuring how high the water was. And I'd come back an hour or two later and see if it was rising or falling. And praise the Lord, it was falling. It was going a half inch, inch, couple inches. And every day it would fall a couple inches. Like, okay, we're good. Plus, we couldn't get out anyways because there's a power line across the road and a tree. So, you know, we, we were stuck. But that's not the main part of the story. The main part of the story is that everything was flooded. My generator, all my tools, my power tools, my shed, my barn. We unfortunately lost some animals. They've drowned. And it took probably about a month before I could go out there into my barn and start cleaning up because everything was very mucky. You couldn't walk out there without sinking down in the mud. It was gross. It was disgusting. And, of course, you can imagine all that in the barn was all flooded and nasty and smelling. But I have this big aluminum cart, right, that we keep all of our animal food in, chicken food, cat food, whatever. And it flooded with all the food in it. And I went to go drag it out, and it was still holding water. I wanted to drag it out. I was like, okay, we need to clean this out, and I dumped it out. And I was not prepared for the grotesque, rancid smell that came out of that thing. And I'd like to consider myself someone as somewhat of a strong stomach, but I caught one whiff of that, and my body... I'm sorry to share these things, but I just started dry heaving, and it was just horrible. And I, it was a stench I have never smelled in my life. And I was so upset and angry because I had dumped it out on the ground. I was like, now I can't work out here because of the stench on the ground. And the kids came out, and they went right back inside because they could smell it. And so frustrated, I, I jumped on my tractor. I went out to the back of the property and got some dirt, came and threw it on top of that mound of stench and you know there was all kinds of those fun organisms crawling around in it and just gross and sorry to share that after breakfast and before lunch but there's a point to the story there really is and I just love those Holy Spirit moments you know God Jesus said that the Holy Spirit dwells within you and that he's your teacher counselor guide comfort and I just felt the soft voice of the Spirit and you know he said that smell that, that, that's how I react to your sin outside of Christ. That's you. That's what you smell like before me. And I was like, okay, all right. And then, and he said, that, that load of dirt that you put on there, you just covered that smell. And that's how I handled sin in the Old Testament. And I was just really impressed by that for the rest of the day. Just thinking about that, and I've been thinking about that ever since, how God covered our sin and to maybe get a small taste of his perspective of what my sin looks like to him and what my sin smells like before him and the times that I've tried to justify my sin. Not only do I smell like that, I try to justify smelling like that. You ever been there? That's between you and the Lord. I just know that I've been there. We make up excuses and um, we try to justify the things that we know are right or um, justify our our wrongness and our sin and all those things. And God just showed me something spectacular that day. But, you know, when he shows you something really hard, he always does it in love. He just has a special way, his, his special love. 
The temple sacrificial system that God had initiated in the tabernacle was God's way of covering sin. That's how he was able to come and dwell with his people because they stunk so bad. Their sin was so horrible. And he was able to come and dwell with them and he had to have a ritual and cleansing and atonements and sacrifices for sin that people had to bring in. They had to come and acknowledge their sin before him, before he could come and dwell with them. The priest would be the one in charge. So the problem with a human priest is the priest has to not only atone for our sins, but they have to atone for their own sins. We're kind of stuck in a conundrum here. If you go and read the book of Leviticus, it's really interesting to see all the things that had to happen before a sacrifice could be made, before an atonement for sin. And I'm going to read a little bit of Leviticus right here. It's everyone's favorite book, I know. But chapter 16, I'm going to read through that. I'm going to skip a few parts to, for brevity. But I, I want you to listen to the preparations that had to happen before the high, now the, the high priest. This is talking about the high priest. And I'm going to set it up for you that what had happened is we've got the tabernacle set up. God had set up a way to enter into the Holy of Holies. You have the tabernacle where your regular sacrifices were done, and you had your Holy of Holies. Uh, you may have heard it called Holy of Holies, Holy Place, Most Holy Place. It's just this one part of the tabernacle or the temple that one priest could come in one time a year, and that was it. And that was to do an atonement of, for sin. Perhaps you've heard of the Day of Atonement that the Jews still celebrate today. That is the day that they would go into the most holy place and offer sin for the whole community of Israel. And what had happened here at this point where I start reading is two of Aaron's sons, who was the high priest in the priestly nation, had come to God in a way that he did not prescribe, and they died. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons of Aaron, and they drew near, when they drew near before the Lord and died, and the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat of the ark, so that they may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat, but in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place. With a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram of burnt offering, he shall put on the holy linen coat and shall wear a turban, a holy linen turban, these are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and, and uh, I'm sorry, he shall bathe his body in water and then put on his holy garments. And then he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and one over the other for the, the lot of Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell to the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord and make atonement over it. And that shall be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. Verse 16. Then he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all of their sins. And so he shall do 
for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanliness. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, all their transgressions, and all of their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of the man who is in readiness. And the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord was command, commanded Moses. So, that was what you had to do when you went to church back in the day. That's a lot. There was a, there was a progression. God is just showing us something here that sin is serious. And you can't deal with it very easily. Not only did Aaron have to have a sin offering for himself and for his house, but then he had to do it for the place because it said, my tent is dwelling in the midst of a people of uncleanliness. So everything was being stained by our sin, and God still wanted to dwell with us. He wanted to make a way. Because what happens when we go to God as we are? We die. We, we like to have these, these, these neat ideas about coming, come as you are, and that's true, in Christ, you can come as you are. But when people came as they were in the Old Testament, it didn't go well for them. Because God is holy. He cannot dwell in sinfulness. He cannot dwell in wickedness. He can't, his eyes can't look upon it. But I want to focus on the last verse. This shall be a statute forever that atonement may be made for the people of Israel. You know, that's a biblical word. That's not some random theological word, some theologian with a pipe came up with in 1802. We don't really talk about atonement, but it's, it should be a part of our vernacular as a Christian, even though it's really not a common vernacular word. But the, the basic sense of atonement means the covering. It's when you cover something. Perhaps you have children, and mom said, well, dad's on his way home. And the kids start cleaning up, and they start you know, making dinner and washing the car because they're trying to atone for their sin because you know, they know dad's on his way home. And they want to try to ease, they want to put a buffer between him and them with some good deeds. Perhaps you've offended somebody in your, in your past, or perhaps somebody upset you, and you know, they brought over peace offerings. Uh, they wanted to atone for how they offended you, and that's a small idea of what atonement is. I know that I've, I've probably done that too. It's like, or uh, Bria would say, you know, dad's on his way home, and to come home and the house is clean, and, because people are trying to atone for their sins. But if something is covered, does that mean it's taken away? All of us here are Floridians, right? And I've looked at hundreds of, I don't know about hundreds, but scores of houses as I've looked to buy a house. And um, the house that I live in right now, when I bought it, when we first walked in, we smelled mold because there was, there was rain, uh, the, the, the roof was leaking, and, and in Florida, you can't have that unkept, you can't have that uh, unremedied. Because if, you, if it stays wet and if it's in a dark place, what happens? Mold grows. And you can go ahead and buy yourself some kills, get your spray gun, kills it, spray kills all over everything, and if you don't take care of the situation, what's going to happen? Mold's going to come right back. You haven't fixed it. You just covered it. You can always smell mold when you go into a house if it's moldy. It's, it's, it's a temporary fix that needs a permanent solution. 
And the problem with sin is like it's mold. It'll eventually come back. As soon as the Israelites left the sanctuary, they were reintroduced into their sinful habits, their sinful thoughts, interactions, relationships, business dealings, what have you. The problem with a priest who struggles with sin himself is he can only partially appeal to God for us. What we need is a blameless priest, and we need our sins to be taken away, not just covered. John chapter 1, verse 29. John the Baptist speaking, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. That's something to get excited about. If you were a religious, observant Jew standing by when John the Baptist said that, you might have been a little offended. And we know that Jesus kind of offended some people. Because for thousands of years, they had to go to the temple to have their sins covered. But the audacity of this Messiah, this proclaimed Messiah, to take away the sins, it would almost render the temple somewhat useless which is what upset the Pharisees as well. Oh, what, they don't need the temple anymore? Then we don't have a job if we don't need the temple anymore. Uh-oh, we got to get rid of this guy. God, if that was all that you had done, it would be enough. But wait, there's more. Since then, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. So not only has our sins been removed and taken away, but we have a high priest who didn't have to go and atone for his own sins. He didn't have to go beg forgiveness for his own sins, but yet he took on our sins and took them to the Father and completely, thoroughly atoned for them once and for all. The Bible is clear to point out that that high priest is able to sympathize with us, that though he is without sin, he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like when you're tempted. The most wicked Horrible thought that you don't want to talk about, that you don't even want to confess to God. The Bible says that he can sympathize with you. That's the kind of high priest you have. I'm going to tell you what, I think that we should feel way more comfortable talking to God through Christ than we do talking to somebody else, because I know that I do sometimes. I'd much rather confess my sins to God than other people because I'm, too, I'm, I'm more worried about what other people are going to think of me than what I worry about God's going to think of me. Because God is able to sympathize with me, and he already sees it anyways, so it's not like I'm hiding it, really. God, if that was all that you had done, it would have been enough. But there's more. Jesus took away that barrier that once separated us from God. In the Old Testament, the history of God wanting to be with his people it's fascinating to see how he pursued us for thousands of years, creating a dwelling place for him to come and live with us. And in the tabernacle and the temple, there was always that holy of holies, that one place where you could only go once a year. The one high priest could go in there and atone for your sins for the whole year. Nobody else could go in there at any other time. God even said, you can't just come in here. You just can't bust up in here and do what you want. There's a process. 
But when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke record it. When Jesus was crucified, what happened? When he gave up his spirit, it said the, dark, the, the, the darkness fell upon the land, right? Earthquakes, thunder, lightning. There's something specific that I'm looking for. Who, who knows what it is? The veil was torn. The veil where? Between the Holy of Holies and the sanctuary. Very significant. And something we kind of gloss over and, and, and the power in that. For thousands of years, that veil, and it's not like some sheen piece of cloth. It was thick. I'm talking thick. If you, you can go in Leviticus and read how many layers of fabric it was to create that veil. It was torn from the top to the bottom. Opened up the Holy of Holies for access. The presence of God, that's where he stayed. He stayed in the Holy of Holies. In that place that he could only be visited once a year to dwell with his people. And Jesus opened up that way for us. We have a new living way that we relate to God now, that we can actually dwell with him. The presence of God left the temple. Where did it go? Did it just go back to heaven? First Corinthians chapter 6, 19-20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Hallelujah! Whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Jesus says that we're a few things. He says that we're salt, that you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. Jesus has a few metaphors for himself. He says, I'm the door, I am the gate, I am the way, I'm the bright and morning star. But the Bible also says that you're the temple. If you are a believer in Christ, the Bible says that you're the temple. And I want you to walk away with the significance of what that means. I know that for years I've glossed over, okay, yeah, it's a temple, cool, whatever. I didn't really understand it. God has done so many wonderful things for us that we don't understand and probably don't appreciate for years and probably won't fully appreciate until we're standing in his, well, bowing at his feet. I used to work at Midas years ago, uh, old brake and tire shop, and I remember I was smoking then, and the owner came up to me. He's like, why do you do that? And I said, I don't know. I, I, I smoke. He's like, don't you know that's your temple? And I'm like, buzz off, old man. You know? But that was 30 years ago. I still, well, not 30 years. I'm not that old. Probably 20 years ago, 25 years ago. <laughs> but I still remember it. I don't remember much from that job, but I remember him saying that to me. And sure, those are, those are all great things. Yeah, we, we need to be careful about what we put in our body and the things that we do with our body. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in that body. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What a privilege that we have that the people of Old Testament Israel never thought could ever happen. Can you imagine, you guys came to church pretty easily today. I, mean, I know that we make a big deal about it. Oh, we have to wake up early and come to church. But these people, when they went to temple, I mean, they could have lived all the way up in North Israel, just the, basically the story of Jesus. Remember what happened is that they had to travel for days to go to the temple for Passover. They had to travel for days, get all their family together, get their food together, get their, horse, their camels and whatever they did for travel and walk for days to go make their sacrifices to the Lord. And praise God, we can do it now in bed before we fall asleep and half the time fall asleep while we're doing it. What a privilege. 
Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, King James says veil, that's, uh, this is the English standard, but I like how King James keep, kept it, the veil, that he opened through us through the veil, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." All the barriers that existed before that kept us from going to God have now been opened up in Christ. In Christ, we are able to go straight to the throne room with confidence. You are able to confess your sin on a whim. Jesus is now our representative. Maybe it might mean a little more to you that when Jesus said that nobody comes to the Father but through me. Hopefully this gives you a fuller understanding of that. When he said that nobody comes but through me, it's because he opened up the way through the temple. You cannot go into the temple by yourself. You cannot go into the throne room on your own. You have to have Christ with you. All these things pertain to you if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. I had, I had made a comment before that uh, our church's you know, we like to say, come as you are, and that's true. You can. You really can because of Christ. You couldn't come as you were in the Old Testament. We've already seen, and you read the Bible, when people came as they were, they died immediately. They fell on their face because they were trying to approach God on their own without their sins being covered. But when we can come now, we come in the name of Christ. What a privilege. Over in Israel, in Jerusalem right now, Herod's temple is still standing, part of it, the, the foundation of it. And there's actually the, the, the bottom foundation, the bottom row of stones is remnants of Solomon's temple. And the Jewish people are always continually wanting to build another temple. And I find it that it's fascinating. What did God do? He allowed some big old fat mosque to be put up there. Because politically, socially, they, the, you know, Israel can't go build a temple on there because it's just going to, it'll be World War III. We can get into eschatology, look at the book of Revelation. We know that you know, somehow there's going to be another temple built and the Antichrist is going to come and fill that temple. But isn't it fascinating that God has prevented another temple from being built? I'd like to say it's just because to remind us that we are the temple. We don't have to go to a special place. We don't have to make pilgrimages. We don't have to pay homages to, to rocks and stones. I love Israel, and I've had so many conversations. I'd love to go and study in Israel. I love being in the place. But I have just as much access to the throne of heaven right here as I do in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount. And you do too. Last week, we celebrated new members and we had a baptism. I'd like to also point out that another facet of the, the fascinating thing of baptism and, and the teaching behind baptism is, yes, we're coming out, we're, we're, we're identifying with God's people, but if you 
heard me read a few times the priests, the great high priest, what did he have to do before he put on his holy garments? He had to take a bath. He had to wash himself in clean water. Again, here in Hebrews, he said, uh, having our evil conscience cleansed from us and our bodies washed with pure water, that's just another facet of what happened to, had to happen before you went into the temple. When you were baptized, not only are you identifying with God's people, but I want to add on to that, that you've, it's a symbolism that you've been cleansed. You've been fully cleansed by Christ. You don't have to go get baptized again. You don't have to go re- get rewashed. You have been thoroughly atoned for. And if you're stuck in a cycle, and any of you out there in uh, Facebook, YouTube, if you're stuck in this cycle of sinning, and the devil wants to give you this false sense of humility to make you think that, uh, well, you're actually being humble by not coming to God because, oh, I've blown it too, it's too bad, I I can't. In a sense, you're right, but in a sense, you're very wrong because God invites you to come. There's been people in my life that I've invited to church, my uncle and some friends, and they say this funny thing in passing. It's like, well, I can't go to church. The building's going to fall down on me. They say that to kind of keep them outside of doors. Well, partially they're right. If they come outside of Christ, it might fall on them if they were to do it in the Old Testament. But God has already prepared a way through Christ that that's not going to happen. We have this false sense of humility that, that keeps us in this cycle of sin. It's like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is just who I am. But God wants to cleanse us from our evil conscience. Hebrews four fourteen through 16 again. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. I want you... I want to remind you that the Bible tells you, be confident, not in yourself. Be confident that Jesus is faithful. Be confident in your faith in Christ that when you come to the throne, that you have a right to be there, not because of yourself or your works or your deeds, but because of Christ. He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins when you sin. And I think it's appropriate today that as we study that we are the temple, that if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. God himself dwells with you, inside of you. That we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper today. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. He has fulfilled everything. He has fulfilled the temple sacrifices. He has fulfilled the temple. He's fulfilled all of the the feasts of the Lord. He has fulfilled Passover, and this is a remainder of what he has done. Jesus likes to take things and relaunch them. I'll, I'll use our terms when we take an old church and we relaunch it. He relaunched the Passover and said, you can do it whenever you want. Do this in remembrance of me because I am the fulfillment of the Passover meal. And at this time... Uh, Mr. Hicks, he's going to come up and he's going, to, he's going to minister communion for us and you'll hear instruction from him. And if you have uh, children in the back who have accepted Christ as your Savior and they, they partake with us, this is your time to go grab them up and bring them in here. And As, as um, Mr. Hicks is preparing, I just want to pray for us. Father God, I just thank you for this truth that's from your word. I thank you, God, that we are the temple Jesus, your word told, tells us that 
I and my Father will make our abode in them. God, I just want to stand with all these people right here and just repent. God, I repent for our sins. I ask for your forgiveness for our sins. And those of you who just have sins that you have yet to ask for forgiveness for, I just I want to lead you in that right now. Just, Lord, forgive us for our sins. Pray with me, the congregation. Lord, look out over us, Father. See, look at our hearts. Look at those hearts, God, who are submitting to you right now. Holy Spirit, come and fill us in a new way. Make these truths from your word fall from our head to our heart and to our feet. You are good, you are faithful. You give us confidence and we can be bold. We come boldly to the throne of grace. We receive help, Lord, for we are in need. We thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.